Good morning, everyone. Man, it's morning, mornings like these, eh, that we feel like, why even have a sermon, you know? <laughs> we've, we've received the sermon. We've received the word. You know, our hearts have been stirred with the goodness of who he is. And we've responded, not because we've been somehow coerced by some fancy music and flashing lights, but as we just proclaim with our mouths the goodness of who he is and we raise a hallelujah and we, we're just genuinely thankful for who he is in our lives. Coming and meeting together just stirs that. And that really is the purpose of the word of God. It's, a, it's to do a work within us. And you know, it says that the truth will make you free. And these words that we're singing are truth. They are the truth. God is good, and He's good no matter what's going on around us. He always was good, and He will never stop being good. And so when we raise a hallelujah, we are re- our minds are renewed and realigned back into their rightful order to actually believe who He always was before the foundations of the world. And our hearts thank Him for that. And that's true worship, not singing a song, but when our hearts capture something of the goodness of who He is and innately we respond to Him. Isn't that awesome? So this morning, we've got an interesting topic to cover. Can anyone tell me what we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks? Love. Fantastic. And so we've had... Greg has been sharing about DNA, the divine nature of Abba, or the divine nature of the Father, and the divine nature that Jaden has so rightfully pointed out is what? Is love. The divine nature of God is love. And so we've been moving through the, I think it's about 15 or 16 attributes of love. We've had love is patient. Love is kind. And any takers on what the next attribute is? Anyone know off the top of their head? What's the third? Love is not jealous. I'm the lucky person who gets to tackle (laughs) the subject. Can I have a show of hands and um, let me know how many people have heard a sermon on jealousy in the last few months? Oh, my goodness. It's not exactly the hot topic that's going around at the moment. But I think it should be. And you know, the divine nature of our Father is not jealous. Love is not jealous. And so we're going to be zeroing in on this one attribute of love this morning. But really, it's one attribute of a whole. You know, when we talk about looking at one of these attributes, we're really not talking about looking at a love that isn't jealous. We're talking about looking at love. We're talking about receiving the love of God within us that actually makes us love. So it's not just one small, minute portion, one little word. We're looking at who God is. And you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, after this passage of love, it talks about Paul and he says, when I was a child, I used to think like a child, reason like a child. But when I grew up, I put those childish things away. And so we're putting childish things away throughout this series. We're defining who God actually is and seeing him through the lens and the eyes of love. And when we see him for who he truly is, we get the clearest snapshot of who we actually are. 
So God is love. And we could say the same thing about the church. The church are to be a people of love. So the divine nature of Abba, or the divine nature of the Father, is not an exclusive nature. It's an inclusive nature. Because it says this, His precious and magnificent promises were given so that we would become partakers of an earthly nature. Oh, wait, no, of the divine nature. So we're to become partakers of the divine nature. So as I share about the goodness of who he is, really, I'm sharing about who you were always born and created to be. I'm sharing about your nature, the nature that was birthed in you when you got born again. And that you now just need to have your mind renewed. You need to put aside childish things. You need to put aside the way that you used to think about God and receive a living knowledge of who he is that will change you forever. And I've been changed by this gospel. I've received something of the love of God that has absolutely altered every part of my life. Not just out there like we sung, but I have been altered. My thinking has been altered. I used to think, about jealousy in one way, and now I see it through a completely different light. So we're going to unpack some of this this morning. But we're to grow up into all aspects of Christ, not just one. So we're not just going to grow up this morning in a love that isn't jealous. We're going to be growing up in the fullness of who he is. And just like Levi, he has now just had his second birthday. Imagine what it would be like if from the day that he was born, only his eyes grew. (laughs) He would be like this scrawny little guy with these like bulging, (laughs) bulging eyes. And sometimes we can get the impression that when we read about 13 attributes of love, we're thinking about 13 different things. Man, I've been so good. I've been patient. Oh, but I just haven't been kind. I haven't been jealous, but I don't know what you can put in anything you want there. Actually, If it's a divine nature, you should be maturing in all of those things at the same time. And the fact that you have one but not the other actually means that you don't have anything. Oh, is that that a bit serious for a Sunday, casual Sunday morning? You know, I see it like this. Who here has been to primary school? Who here has done year one maths? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully everyone. But when you go... One plus one is what? Two. But one times one is what? One. Okay. One plus one plus zero is what? Two. One times one times zero is what? Zero. See, in the Trinity, you have to have three and one. If you're missing one, you're missing them all. One times zero is zero. So we're not adding these attributes together. We're receiving the fullness of what they are within us. So if you're saying that you have one but not the other, you've completely missed the divine substance that actually imparts the fullness of who God is. So it's, I'm not being mean this morning. I'm just giving you a measuring stick to define the love of God so that you can, when you hear it, instead of thinking that you are living in the fullness of it, which you might be, you can realign your heart and say, God, that is who I'm called to be, and I want the fullness of everything that you have. I'm not settling for one attribute when I can have the fullness of Christ dwelling within me. Does that make sense? So you have to hear everything through that lens, through the love of God that will actually 
transform you from the inner core. All right, so we've got the fantastic task of talking about jealousy this morning. And so like any good preacher, when I thought about my sermon, my first point of contact was to Google. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the source of divine revelation, of course. No, just kidding. That's not where I started. (laughs) But I thought I better just check what the definition of jealousy was. And Google gave me two definitions through the Cambridge Dictionary. Definition number one, jealousy is being unhappy and angry. Oh, sorry, yeah, unhappy and angry because someone has something that you want. Unhappy and angry because someone has something that you want. And the second definition was that you are upset and angry because someone that you love seems interested in another person. Ooh, interesting. Two definitions. Either way, whatever way you look at it, Jealousy is about needing something from someone else to make you okay. But love is not jealous, is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Love doesn't need something from someone else to make it okay. It doesn't need possessions. It doesn't need physical things. But it also doesn't need affection. It doesn't need someone to be interested in you to like you to be secure. Now, if there's any studious Bible scholars in the room this morning, you'll be thinking, love is not jealous. But doesn't the Bible say that God is a jealous God? So we've got on the one hand, a love in 1 Corinthians 13 that's not jealous. And then on the other hand, we have scriptures like this. Exodus 34 verse 14, for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods. So you have on the one hand a 1 Corinthians 13 love, a love that is not jealous. And then you see these baffling scriptures that say God Not only is he a jealous God, but his name is jealous. My goodness, is the Bible full of absolute contradictions that many people claim it is? Or is there something in the nature of jealousy that's absolutely essential for us to grasp if we're to understand the true divine nature of our Father? In his Song of Solomon 8 verse 6 says this, it says, Put me like a seal over your heart like a seal on your, la- on your arm. For love as strong as death, jealousy as, is as severe as Sheol. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flames of the Lord. So Song of Solomon is talking about love. What is he saying? For love, as strong, love is as strong as death, jealousy as severe as Sheol. He's saying love is so severe, love is so strong, that it's jealous. So how can we reconcile a love that is not jealous with a love that is jealous? Are we all like, oh my goodness, what on earth is going on here? Love is as jealous as the grave and yet it's not jealous. Maybe the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. What do you think? No, a resounding no. So then where, where does that leave us? 
Now, here is why we all as believers in Christ, not just teachers or preachers, have to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Have you heard that phrase before? To rightly divide the word of truth. And you know what that means? It means to hear the essence of what is being said and not what isn't. It means to hear the heartbeat that lies behind the words and not just the words themselves. So I'd like to propose to you this morning what true jealousy actually is. You see, the the biblical definition of the word jealousy is actually quite different to to the jealousy that we hear described in the Cambridge Dictionary. Jealousy in the Bible is the word zealous. Have you heard that word before? Zealous. It's actually an onomatopoeic word. Did I get that right, Steph? Yeah, yeah. Brownie points from the teacher. So I learned this in fifth form English. And an onomatopoeic word is like bang, crash. You know, the word describes what it is that's going on. And in the Greek, this word jealous, it means to bubble over. It's the sound of, a, of, a, of bubbling water that is almost like boiling over the top of the pan. That's what the word jealousy means, to bubble over. It can be used to describe an outburst of self-centered anger, or it can be used to describe a passionate, deep, fervent, overwhelming sense of love and devotion. So jealousy isn't a negative word, although it has negative connotations. It's a neutral word that's loaded with divine life and power to those who hear and rightly divide that word of God. So that brings me to my first key point. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, I need you to get this one. So if you've got your pen at the ready, if you're taking notes, point number one. Love is not jealous of or because of. Love is jealous for. Boom. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Love is not jealous of or because of. Love is jealous for. Boom, says Vera. Thank you. So Paul, let's just dispel this myth that God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New. That he was once a jealous God, but now he's not a jealous God. And I think we've actually preached, or I think we've talked about this verse not too long ago. Paul in 2 Corinthians says this, he says to the church, I'm jealous for you. Hear that? I'm jealous for you. I'm not jealous of you. I don't need anything from you. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. I'm jealous for you. Why? What is this jealousy? What is this God who says I'm a jealous God really looking for? You know, when I was young, I would read verses like that. God is a jealous God. You know, the context of that is the people of Israel are following after idols. God's people, his bride, have left their first love and they're pursuing another lover. 
And so in the context, God is saying, hey, I'm a jealous God. And when I would hear things like that, I would hear, my goodness, God is jealous for me. He needs my affection. He needs my devotion. He needs me to perform. He needs me to love him. He needs me to please him. He, he needs, he needs, he needs, he needs, he needs. God is a jealous God. He needs something from me to be okay. And yet that is the complete and total opposite of what the jealousy of God is all about. So God, when he comes and he confronts the Israelites on their idolatry, he's not saying, guys, I need something from you. He's saying, guys, you are living such a subpar life. You were born and created for something so much more than what you're living for. And to live for me is to genuinely and actually come alive in a way that you never had before. To love me and serve me and lay down your life for me, to have me as the first place priority in your heart is the best thing for you. It's the best thing for you. It's like on a football team where coming under the guidance of the captain is the best thing for you in thriving in your role. It's capturing the heartbeat of your boss and being able to love and serve them is the best thing, not just for them. It's the best thing for you. It's a wife lovingly submitting to her husband, not because he needs submission, because he's an authoritarian ruler, but because for a wife to thrive, coming under and being subject to her husband is the best thing for her to thrive and to live well, and to live whole. God is jealous for us, not because of us. Because he is absolutely, totally and committed to us. So I think it's time to put away childish reasoning and childish thoughts about a God who has all of these pressures and expectations on us. And to have our minds renewed by truth, to see a love that is so pure and so deep that only wants the best for us and that would have us living for him, not because he's insecure, but because he knows that that's when we'll truly come alive and thrive and live in and through and from the eternal purpose that he has from us. Point number two. If you've got a pen, you can jot this down too. Love is not jealous of our possessions or of our affection. So love is not jealous for our possessions. We live in such a consumeristic world that we need things to be okay. You know, those things don't necessarily have to be the latest Ferrari the latest Mercedes, they could be even just the natural, normal things of life, like food. Paul talks about people who have food, they say, is, whose God is their appetite, who set their minds on earthly things. And so I hear this all the time, it's almost like it's a funny and cool thing to say, but, oh, sorry, I got frustrated, I'm just hangry. Hangry? I'm hangry. So you just allowed the fact that you don't have food to change who you are. You just allowed the fact that you haven't eaten to define the fact 
that you are now not able to love? I wonder if God was hangry. I wonder if Jesus, after 40 days fasting in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil who said, hey, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? Oh my goodness, I'm so hangry. Give me the bread. (laughs) And I'm just making light and making fun of this, but since when should your appetite disqualify you for who you were called to be and become, which was love? We've got to be for real about some of these things. Because God is love. And as his sons and daughters, we're to become love. And so nothing out there, no hunger, no lack of possessions, not being treated the right way, is to disqualify us from living out who we were always called and chosen to be. It doesn't stop him from who he was. It shouldn't disqualify us unless we let it unless we allow those excuses to keep ruling our lives and preventing us from coming into the fullness of life that's available in Him. You see, He's given us His precious and magnificent promises, not so that we would receive prosperity and blessing from heaven, but because we would have become partakers of a divine nature. You know, it says that godliness is great gain, when it's accompanied by contentment. Acris, we were talking about that probably years ago, but it stuck with me. Godliness is great gain when accompanied by contentment. Why? Because when you are godly, when you have the divine nature of the Father in you, when you have love in you, you have already gained. And you're content with Him. You don't need things to make you content, to make you okay. So love is not jealous for our possessions. God's the creator of heaven and earth. He spoke all of this world into being. And so he schools David in the Psalms and he says, Hey, all the beasts of the field are mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. If the cattle on a thousand hills are his, does he need our possessions? Does he need our money? Does he need anything from us when, the, when he can speak something into being and it is? God is not jealous of our possessions. And as his sons, we have everything, he says, we need for life and godliness. We have it. We've received it. It's ours. It's not something that we are grasping for. Actually, we have received everything every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so he says, why do you worry about your food, your body, your shelter? Why, why do you worry about that when you are a son of God and have been given all things, not just possessions, but all things within us? And so I feel like this, there's, there's a key kind of time or example that I'm going to draw on that highlighted for me when I was learning this in a really powerful way. And a number of years ago, I, I, I moved flats and I had um, prepared to move in with a, a particular guy who bailed on me last minute. And so I had this three-bedroom house all to myself. Um, I didn't have a particularly high-paid job and I was stuck paying the rent for three bedrooms. And there was a friend of mine who I'd been talking about 
talking with, and he um, is now overseas, but um, he was saying how he wanted to move out of move out of home, get away from his parents, and um, and it almost seemed like it was perfect. This guy was exactly the guy I was. I thought, man, what a what an ideal setup. I've got this three bedroom house. You want to get out? You have been talking about wanting to get out, um, you know, from your parents and go flatting in the area. We lived in the same area. I was like, man, this is too good to be true. And so I started talking. Hey, why don't you move in with me? Because I needed someone to pay the rent. And you know, I was, you know, I called him up and I chatted with him in person. And I say, um, come on, mate, this will be ideal, you know. And I remember just one evening just sitting and just being with God and he, he whispered into my heart, he's like, why do, you, why do you need him to move in? And, it, and I was like, oh my goodness, I need something from him. And there was just a whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, like, why, do, why do you need that from him? Am I not your provider? Am I not what you need? And it wasn't a big booming rebuke from heaven. Come on, man, get yourself to get. No, it was the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Hey, just remember, I'm your provider. You don't. You don't need to. You don't need anything from him. He is totally free to make any decision that he wants about his future. And it turns out that he, you know, felt like it wasn't the right time, you know, to move out. And and that was cool. But that whisper did something in me, and it just reminded me of the goodness of God and his provision for me. I always paid the rent. I always paid for food. And I was totally okay. But I was more than okay, not just because of the position. I was okay because I had a word from him who had said that he was my provider. And so fast forwarding into the future, um, Tess and I, since we've got married, have always had apart from about three weeks, have always had people living with us, which we love. And it's been awesome. And so we had a young guy living with us. And um, um, before, before we got married, I had on my heart that, man, like this, this is something that we want to invite him into, not because we were jealous of, but because we were jealous for. We wanted to be able to create an environment this, with this guy for, for him to grow. And in part of that, Tess and I decided that we were going to save all of his rent money that he would pay to us and put it aside for him for when we moved out and without telling him. And so we did. We, we, saved, up all of his, um, we saved up all of his money. And yet, see, this to me is why I think God is just so fantastic about bringing us through the situations that we need to to learn. Because the word that he had spoken years ago had prepared for when this next word would come that was, that was to say, hey, we want you to save this money. We had no reservations whatsoever and put his money aside for, I can't remember how long it was, a year and a half or whatever that he lived with us. And see, in that time when when he finally moved out, and it was months later that we were able to um, to go and give the money. But in the time that he was living with us, I was constantly asking him for his rent because he was a young man and he needed to, you know, learn how to pay his way and be responsible and you know have a job and not just spend it on, you know, fifty bucks at the lollies at the dairy every second day. And so Tess and I were devoted and committed to him making the most of every opportunity of living with us. And for us, that looked like mentoring him and being a responsible young man. Yet he didn't know that we were putting all that money aside for him for when he moved out. And so he used to get frustrated. Come on, man. You know, like, I've, you know, and frustrated that I was hitting him up about 
paying his bills and paying his rent. And so in that here, we've got one person who has a perception that love is jealous of. See, he thought that I just wanted his money. But actually, we had a love that was jealous for. And so when we had the privilege of being able to sit down with him months after and say, hey, all of your rent we've put aside for you. You can do whatever you want with it. I'm not going to ask a single... That, that broke something in our relationship. And it... it uh, how do I say? It, it created such a sense of the love of the Father in that meeting. We were all in tears weeping about the goodness of who he was. And see, this is not a testimony of us being noble or this is that's ridiculous. This is a testimony of the goodness of God and what he had done in, in my heart and a word that he had spoken that had made me free from money, that he had set me free from being jealous of and given me a, a love in my heart that was jealous for. And so this young man was able to taste of a love that was for and not of a love that was because of. Isn't that powerful? So we have the privilege of receiving that love and then being able to give it. So the next kind of sub point is love is not jealous for our affection. Now I've given you an example about how I was jealous for possessions and the work that God did in me about positions, but I would say that being jealous for someone's affection is actually a bigger and deeper rooted issue than being jealous for someone's possessions. If you're jealous for someone's affection, you need them to love you, appreciate you, esteem you, respect you, treat you right for you to be okay. And if they don't treat you well, then that gives you grounds to not treat them well, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Have you not? Have you heard that before? It's in the Bible. <laughs> and yet, love is not jealous for our affection. John the Baptist in John chapter 3, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but jot it down and go back to it. John has a, has a group of disciples who are following after him. He's, he's, um, John's teaching them, they're maturing, they're growing. And then one day, this random guy called Jesus steps on the scene and John's followers are like, whoa. And, and John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of John's followers go and start following Jesus. And people come to John and they're like, John, man, come on. Are you not concerned that your entire church community are now following someone else? And John says these words. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And he says this, not in these exact words, but he says it's the bridegroom's privilege to prepare the bride for her rightful husband. I'm paraphrasing. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. What is he saying? He says, he's saying, guys, listen to this. I'm not jealous of my disciples' affection. I'm not jealous of the fact that they are following me. I'm not jealous of the fact that I've got a big crowd. I'm not jealous of my own reputation as a church leader. 
I'm not jealous of their affection. I'm jealous for them because the bride belongs to the bridegroom and the best thing is for them to leave the old and step into the new, is to go from following the greatest of all Old Testament prophets to the Messiah, the one who they were always born and created to live for. See, John had a love that wasn't jealous of. He had a love that was jealous for. And he knew that them going away from him and being with someone else was the best thing for them and their growth. You know, Jesus had the same heart. He said, it's better for you that I go, because unless I go, I wouldn't have been able to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will lead you into all truth. See, Jesus was perfectly content to come and die on the cross, have those who were following him the most closely deny him, have people betray him, have some commit suicide. And he was not at all made insecure about the fact that they were denying him, walking away from him. Even so, he said, it's now it's to your privilege that I go because if I go, the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth. See, Jesus wasn't trying to create a following. He wasn't trying to gain affection from people. He was absolutely secure in who he was. So what about us? If love is not insecure, if love is not jealous for affection, are there things or people that we need to, for, uh, that we need our affection from to make us okay? What about our children? If they are misbehaving, man, that happens pretty much every day in the Willis household. <laughs> if, they're, if they're misbehaving, disrespecting, not listening, do we remember the word jealousy means to bubble over? What do we bubble over with? What kind of jealousy do we bubble over with? Do we bubble over because we are jealous of them treating us right, them listening, them behaving? Or do we bubble over because we are jealous for them? And we see that the behavior that they're currently displaying is actually not leading them to become awesome and mature and good human beings. I don't mean it like a, for them to come into the fullness that's on offer. What do we bubble over with? Do, what are we responding to? Are we responding to something out there or are we responding to a jealousy and a deep love and a passion that's within here? What if our spouse was to come and tell us that she now had feelings for someone else? Would we bubble over because we have a jealousy that is of them needing something from us or a jealousy that's for a deep empathy and compassion that they're not living in the fullness of what they were called to live in. Just a hypothetical situation. And see, for someone like Hosea, that wasn't a hypothetical situation. See, Hosea, his wife went, how would you say, a whoring? <laughs> she, went after other, she went after other men. She went after other people. Hosea's wife chose to go and pursue other men. Just settle down. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a joke. 
Imagine that. Hosea's wife goes and starts pursuing other lovers and other men. And what does Hosea say? He says this. He says, I will allure her. I'll bring her into the wilderness and I'll speak tenderly to her. Wow. Is that a love that's jealous of? Or is that a love that's jealous for? See, Hosea could have been like, come on, man. This is the 10th time that you've done this. We're over. We're done. See ya. But no, he had a love in his heart that was not insecure, did not need affection to be okay. He had a love that was bigger than that. And so he was able to say, I'll take her out into the wilderness. I'll speak not harshly because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That your anger cannot produce in someone a changed life. So when you get frustrated at your kids, your anger cannot produce righteousness in them. And Hosea knew this. And so he says, I'll bring her out into the wilderness and I'll speak tenderly to her. I'll restore her. I'll bring her back because I'm not jealous of her. I'm not jealous of her affection. I'm not jealous of her love. I'm jealous for her. I'm here. I'm in this marriage for her to thrive. I'm in this marriage for her to be everything that she can be in God. And I'm absolutely devoted to playing my role to seeing her thrive. That's what love is. So point number three, this is the last point. Love is jealous for our hearts. So I've got here, love is not jealous for our possessions and our affection, but love is jealous for our hearts. So when we hear in 1 Corinthians 13 about a love that's not jealous, it's not a passive or neutral statement. The fact that God isn't insecure and he doesn't need our affection to make him okay doesn't mean that he's indifferent to whether or not we love him or are pursuing him or are in relationship with him. Can those two things even be reconciled? Yes, they can be. When you understand that the selflessness of love and the depth of a devotion that's for us. So love is jealous for our hearts. Love exists for no other reason but to see the other person come alive and thrive. It's not passive, like I said. The opposite is completely true. He is deeply passionate. He is jealous. He is zealous. He is consumed with us coming to be all that we can be in him. His passion bubbles over. You know, in John chapter 2, 17, you, you guys will probably know the story, but Jesus goes into the temple when he sees the chaos that's going on. People are um, using this, excuse me, this place of, of, of worship, this house of God to buy and sell things. Because why? They're jealous. They're jealous of possessions. And so Jesus gets a, he makes a whip of cords and, and brings it out. And he flips over the tables of the, the money changers and drives them out of the temple. And the disciples are reflecting on this after and they remember. And they say this, oh, and they remembered. Zeal for your house will consume me. See, Jesus wasn't indifferent. 
he was deeply, deeply jealous. You know that word zeal? The correct translation of that word is the same that we were talking about before. It actually is jealous. No, it's interesting. When I was reading through the, the dictionary online, there was a bit of a commentary. And they, there's a disclaimer in one of the versions, and it says that, uh, and it actually says that these are the definitions that uh, of the word. But back in the day, I'm just paraphrasing, the dictionary didn't actually say back in the day. <laughs> um, back in the day, jealousy used to not be used as something that was negative but positive, and they referenced the Bible. But they said now that's become obsolete. Jealousy, this intense, passionate desire, so much so that the English language has taken out that word because it doesn't understand it. See, this is a word, this is a substance that the world does not know. They don't know a love that's jealous unless it's a jealousy that's come from self-centered need from someone else. The world has never seen this kind of love, has never seen this kind of jealousy, so the dictionary has just written it out. The Bible is almost close to writing it out, this translation. They've changed it to zeal. And I'm not saying it's it's okay. You can get the same substance. And yet there's something about this that's so important for us to receive. And we sing songs like, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found. Is that? Leaves the 99. This is a jealous love. It's a love that pursues. It's not a love that's indifferent. It's a love that's not insecure. So it can be deeply passionate without being in need of something to make it okay. It's a love that a world has never seen and never known before. But it's a love that is in Christ Jesus. And it's a love that will bring the rest of the Bible to life. That when you see things through the love of God and see it through that lens, you'll read things about jealousy and you'll be, oh my goodness, God, thank you for your absolute total commitment and passion towards me for me being everything that I can be, as opposed to how I described how I used to hear it. Oh God, I've got to do these things. I've got to. Love is not jealous. And yet it is deeply passionate, zealous, committed. It overflows, it bubbles over for us to be the church of God that he would want to see here on the earth. Is that all right? So, Father, I thank you that that love is in you and it's in us. Father, I thank you that that jealous love, this jealous love is to burn in our hearts. Father, I pray that the word that has been spoken this morning would find its root in our hearts. Our minds would be renewed to who you are. Father, in awe of your goodness, in awe that you're so selfless towards us, that you don't need from us, but you would have everything in store for us to come into the fullness of life that is found in you. Father, I pray that this jealous love would break down every door to our hearts. Father, it would come and it would yank out every lie that's kept us from believing how much you love us. Father, that it's a powerful love. Father, that it 
that it breaks down walls. And Father, I pray that that love would convict us, confront us, and it would become us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.